Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Mahashalal Hashbaz. And I will call in Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jeberechiah, as reliable witnesses for me. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Mahashalal Hashbaz. Before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, 
they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. The second reading is on page 1219, which is in 1 Peter chapter 3. Page 1219, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us now. We thank you, our Lord and God, that we've been able to sing of your kindness and your goodness, of your love and your greatness. And we pray that in your great kindness you would speak to us now through your word, helping us to understand how sensible it is to trust you and to fear you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please do sit down. Well, again, I uh, want to welcome you, add my own welcome to that of uh, Andrew's earlier in the service. Let me encourage you to do two things now, if, uh, if I may. One would be uh, to take up your Bibles and to turn back to the reading uh, that we had a little bit earlier, read for us by Janet, uh, page 692, as we're working through the book of Isaiah, uh, uh, right through this term. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, page 692. The other thing that I think you'll find particularly helpful this week, and that's to dig out the, the handout uh, for the, um, uh, the sermon outline, and uh, not least of all, uh, the front page... Uh, where you'll see a list of terms and conditions uh, which I'll refer to in just a moment. Uh, We live in a scary world, no doubt about that. We have street crime, gang crimes, hate crimes and terrorist violence, military violence, insurgent violence, police violence and, lest we forget, domestic violence. Those are the words of Houston criminal lawyer John Floyd. Not that we need a criminal lawyer to tell us that we live in a scary world. We know just how scary our world is by watching the news this week. Uh, It's a scary world when personalities like Jimmy Savile can do the things that he did for as long as he did without being stopped. It is a scary world when we think of the search continuing for little April Jones. It is a scary world when we hear of yet another soldier being killed in Afghanistan and I could go on. The world is a scary place. And for the Christian, it will be even scarier. Yeah, I do mean that. See, as we stand up for Christ, we can expect all kinds of trials and struggles to come our way just because we are Christian. We will face everything that everybody in this world 
faces and we will face more. We heard last week from one of our mission partners how Christians were raided, their home was searched without a warrant, one of them was beaten, how they were fined two months' wages and all their Christian literature was confiscated and destroyed. And even in this country, we're aware from recent news stories how as the law is changing in this land, it is going to get harder and harder for Christians to stand up for what we believe without it resulting in persecution. And not to mention the sort of I guess low-level persecution that a number of Christians in this congregation experience, being marginalised for being Christian, finding career prospects halted as we stand up for what we know to be true, and just having our friends snub us because we follow Jesus. We live in a scary world. That is true for everyone. But for the faithful Christian, it is doubly scary, for the world is not our friend. Well, as we turn to Isaiah chapter 8 we will discover that this chapter tells us that even though we, well, there are many things that we will fear in this world, uh, there is one that we as Christians should fear above all, and that is the Lord himself. Yes, Isaiah chapter 8 is about fearing the Lord. And uh, we may well find ourselves getting uh, uh, bogged down in some of the detail of the chapter, but remember the big thing, It is about fearing the Lord. And so the key words in this chapter come in verses 12 and 13. Look halfway through verse 12. Isaiah hears these words from the Lord. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. That's the message of Isaiah chapter 8. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to fear. Now if you were here last week, you'll remember that King Ahaz, the king of Judah at the time when these words were written. King Ahaz did not fear the Lord. He feared the nations around him. His was not an irrational fear. He had very good reason to fear the nations. Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, was under siege. Ahaz and the people of Judah were in the middle of a war zone. The northern alliance of the Syrian and Israel alliance was bearing down upon Judah and the capital city, Jerusalem. Ahaz and the people of Judah were scared and had good reason to be. But through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to Ahaz, telling Ahaz to trust him, the Lord, or to use the language of chapter 8, to fear the Lord above everything else. But as we saw last time, rather than fear the Lord, Ahaz turned to the Assyrians, the great world superpower of the day, he turned to the Assyrians for protection. He feared them more than he feared the Lord. And now in chapter 8, we see just why we should fear the Lord and not the world around us. And so we come to the first point on the handout. Uh, Fear the Lord and you'll be destroyed. That's verses 1 to 10. But first, in verses 1 to 4, Syria and Israel under judgment. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to me, says Isaiah, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Mahashal al-Hashbaz. Now, it's not a difficult picture to see. Isaiah found a flip chart and a marker pen, and he wrote on it, Mahashal al-Hashbaz. Now, just as we saw last week, once again, we see here how names are very important in the Bible. And as I did last week, I've put again a list of terms and conditions on the handout to help us with some of these unknown and unusual names. 
You'll see the second name down on, on, under the terms that Mahashal al-Hashbaz means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Not that that will be very much to us until we read on. Uh, but as we read on, we begin to realise this is the beginning of a prophecy. This is a word from the Lord through Isaiah the prophet. And that's why in verse 2, the Lord gets two reliable witnesses. Do you see them there? Uh, two men, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jeberechiah. These two reliable witnesses are to be able to testify that Isaiah wrote this name down before the events of the prophecy actually came true. So Isaiah did just that. He wrote the name on the flip chart. And then Isaiah says, I went to the prophetess, that is Isaiah's wife. And verse 3, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Malahal Hashbaz. Whenever I read this, I do feel sorry for the poor lad. Isaiah's second son having to go through life with a name like that. Just think about it. Every time he ordered something over the phone, he would have to spell it out. How is that? It's such a mouthful. I, I, I imagine his friends called him Barry or Baz for short. But we mustn't shorten his name because his full name means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And his full name was a sign, a prophecy of what would happen in the region. Look at verse 4. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Now we begin to see the point of the name. The Assyrians, this great world superpower at the time, the Assyrians will be Mahashalahashbaz. They will be quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. In battle, the Assyrians will tear through, do you see it in verse 4, the kingdoms of Assyria and, and Israel. They will plunder those nations quickly and swiftly. Now remember the situation. Syria and Israel, these nations that were north of, of Judah, they have formed an alliance and are attacking Judah. But here, Israel prophesies that the northern alliance will be slaughtered by the Assyrians, this world superpower. It's exactly what the Lord promised back in chapter 7 and verse 16. Here in chapter 8, verse 4, the prophecy is that before Isaiah's little boy says, mummy or daddy, the northern alliance would defeat the Assyrians. Oh, sorry, would be defeated by the Assyrians. Now, at first glance, it appears to be such good news for Judah and King Ahaz. And here's the thing. When this happened, when the Assyrians came down, and defeated the Israel-Syria alliance, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, would have seemed justified in his decision to make an alliance with the Assyrians. As the Assyrian military machine came marching down, crushing the Syria-Israel alliance, Ahaz could have puffed out his chest and said to himself and to his subjects, see, I knew I was right. Making an alliance with the Assyrians has rescued us from the northern alliance. I did the right thing. I did it my way and my way was right. Now you can see that happening in the second half of verse 6. The people of Judah were rejoicing over Rezin, that is the king of Syria, and over the son of Remaliah, that is the king of Israel. The people of Judah were rejoicing over the way the Assyrians did a Malahala Hashbaz on their enemies. So when the first part of this prophecy came true, when the Assyrians did defeat the Syria-Israel alliance, the people of Judah would have been cock-a-hoop. And at that point, it would have seemed that to not fear the Lord but to fear the Assyrians was the right decision. 
We're going to see in a moment, it was definitely the wrong decision. But at that point, it would have seemed like the right decision. And we need to take note here. Because we too can take decisions that are actually against the Lord. But the way things then pan out at first, our decisions may seem to be right and good. Our ungodly decisions in the short term may seem to work in our favour, may even seem to prosper us. But as we read on, we will learn more of the prophecy and we'll see it is never good to trust ourselves to anything or anyone else other than the Lord. Uh, Before we read on, um, look over the page on the handout and see the quote from David Peterson. Looking at the way Judah rejoiced over the defeat of Syria-Israel alliance, David Peterson writes these words, I think very helpful. There appears to be no fear of God in this response or any recognition of God's sovereignty in their deliverance from these enemies. They simply rejoiced in the might of one human power over another, as we so often do, leaving God out of the picture. See, there's the problem. King Ahaz didn't fear the Lord. He put his trust in the Assyrians. But that's why this prophecy is so important, because the defeat of the Syria-Israel alliance is not the end of the story. So then, in verses 1 to 4, the Lord prophesied Malahal Hashbaz, the Syria-Israel alliance would be slaughtered by the Assyrians. But then we see, second point under the first, second sub-point under the first point, unbelieving Judah is under judgment. Now look, before I go any further to explain verses 5 to 10, I think it's very important and helpful to uh, think in these categories. Um, it's a category that was used by the reformers in the 16th and 17th centuries. They spoke of the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is uh, any gathering of the people of God. All of us gathered here, visible for everyone to see. But within any gathering of the visible church, there is a subsection, usually, usually a smaller subsection, the invisible church. Uh, The real believers among any gathering. So there'll be the visible church, the gathering, and then the, believe, the real believers within that gathering. Sometimes it's all of them, but often it's a smaller group. Now, the same is true in Judah. Judah, the nation, the gathered people of God. But within them, there was a much smaller subsection, a much smaller subsection, we know, of real believers who were called the remnant. Now, in verses 5 to 10, it is the majority, the unbelievers in Judah, who are under God's judgment. So in verses 5 to 10 then comes the devastating news for Judah and it is Malahal Hashbaz. Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil, the Assyrians will overrun unbelieving Judah. Here we really see why we should fear the Lord above all things. Look at verse 8. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Now, we may need a hand with the details and in a moment I'll give you some of the details. But the big sweep of these verses is very clear. Because Judah... 
has rejected the Lord and turned to the Assyrians. Now the Lord is going to be behind the Assyrians defeating Judah. That's the big thrust of verses 5 to 8. And don't miss the point at the beginning of verse 7, that it is the Lord who is controlling the Assyrian invasion against Judah. Here's why we should fear the Lord Almighty. Because he is more powerful than the nations. It's exactly what we saw last time in chapter 7, verse 18. The Lord controls the mighty powers of the world, just as a man controls his dog. Do you remember it from chapter 7, verse 18? With just a whistle from the Lord, the Assyrians would do his bidding. So fear the Lord. For when we fear the world and trust the world, then in judgment, the Lord will bring the world bearing down upon us. That's the big point of verses 5 to 10. Now let me give you a steer on some of the details. As you'll see from the list of terms and conditions here, Shiloh there in verse 6 was the stream from the Gihon Spring which provided water for Jerusalem. Shiloh was the Lord's wonderful provision for the city of Jerusalem. And not least of all, the Lord's provision through a time of siege. The waters of Shiloh always running into Jerusalem meant that even under siege, the city would never run out of water. So Shiloh was a picture of the Lord's provision for the people of Judah in Jerusalem, that he would keep them against their enemies. But they had rejected the Lord's protection and turned to the Assyrians for protection. And therefore, verse 7, the Lord would bring against Judah the very ones they turned to for help. And instead of knowing the gentle protection of the Lord as pictured in the gently, gently flowing waters of Shiloh, Judah would experience the full force of the Assyrians bearing down upon them like, verse 7, a mighty flood water. Now that's a picture we're all too familiar with in recent days. We saw it here in our region in devast- with devastating effect a few years back. We've seen it in other parts of the country on the news in these last weeks. When floodwaters come in a torrent of destruction, there's nothing that can stop them. They're just too powerful. That's the picture of verse 7 and of verse 8. The Assyrians will come upon Judah like floodwaters. Mahashalel hashbaz. Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. The Assyrians will, verse 8, sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. You can just picture the whole land covered in water. Now do you see it there in verse 8? When the Assyrians come, Judah would be up to their neck in it, as we say. This is a devastating picture of how the very nation Judah turned to for protection would come and destroy them. It is devastating and it is judgment, but despite how serious this warning is, do you see that there is a note of hope and grace, even in verse 8. Now, we've seen it again and again through these early chapters of Isaiah. Whenever God speaks a word of judgment, he always speaks a word of hope and grace. It comes twice. First in verse 8, this mighty river will only come up to the neck. They still have their, as we say, heads above water. God will not let Judah be completely destroyed. It's what we saw back in chapter 7. Do you remember Isaiah's first son? We met him last week, called Shia Jashub, meaning a remnant will return. God's people will never be completely destroyed. That's shown here. They'll be up to their neck in it, but they'll still have their heads above water. And then the other sign that we were shown in chapter 7, verse 14, was Emmanuel, God is with us. 
Uh, We see that right at the end of verse 8. So God's people will never be destroyed, Shia Jashub. The remnant, the believers within the unbelieving nation will be kept by the Lord. And the Lord is Emmanuel with his people, with the remnant. That's the hope in verse 8. And that is kind of then worked out in verse 9 and 10. Because as I read verses 9 and 10 now, this is, this is directed to um, the Assyrians. See, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will, not, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. See, here's the thing. Although God brings the Assyrians in judgment upon unbelieving Judah, still God is controlling the Assyrians. He won't let the Assyrians' plans to come to fruition. The Assyrians wanted to completely destroy Judah. Their plans won't happen, he says. For within Judah there is a remnant, Shia Jashub. A faithful few, a remnant will return. And Emmanuel, God is with us. But all that said, be under no illusion, when God's people turn from the Lord to trust in other things for their deliverance, when God's people become unbelievers, when the the people of God fear the world rather than the, the Lord, they will be destroyed. And we need to learn the same lesson. See, it seems to me that much of the visible church in this land is fearful of the world and not the Lord. Much of the visible church fears the world more than the Lord when it comes to sexual ethics or gender distinctives or the basic truths of the gospel, the truth of sin and judgment and the need for repentance. Fearful that the world won't like the truth of the Bible, much of the visible church embraces the world and is no different to the world. I'll be sure when the visible church is like that, when it turns away from the Lord... It is under judgment and it will be destroyed by the world. But be encouraged. When we remain faithful, the Lord is with us. His remnant will return. The invisible church, the real believers, will never be wiped out. And so we should keep fearing the Lord. And that takes us to our second point. The first point, fear the Lord. Sorry, fear the world and you'll be destroyed. The second point, fear the Lord and you'll be saved, verses 11 to 15. See, the Lord spoke again in verse 11 to Isaiah. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. Don't fear what they fear. Remember, for Ahaz and the people of God, they had a very rational fear. They feared the Northern Alliance. They were under siege. They feared for their lives. They feared the nations. But the Lord says to Isaiah, don't fear what they fear, but fear the Lord Almighty. Now, that's interesting. The fear of the Lord is something the Bible speaks of often, but it's not something that we speak of often. And for that reason, it seems to me that whenever we speak of the fear of the Lord, we don't seem to really understand what it means. When our um, twin girls worked with toddlers, uh, Susanna and Bethan, when they were just little girls, I used to play a game with them called Lions. Now, I have no idea whether I made this game up or got it from someone else, but it's very easy to understand how it goes. It goes like this. They would run into another room 
another room of the house, I would get down on all fours and I would come into the room round the corner pretending to be a lion. And uh, when I got into that room, they would run past me if they could, and they could, because I was a friendly lion at times. They would run past me and uh, they would would then run into another room and I would pad into that room saying, on one occasion we were playing lions and they were getting very excited after it happened for a few times. They'd run back into another room and they'd say, louder, daddy, louder. So I'd pad round into the next one and go, roar, a bit louder. Giggles from the girls. They'd run past me into another room. Louder, daddy, louder. I'd pad in, roar. Until they got to the point where they were so excited. They said, louder, daddy, do it louder. And so with them round the corner, I stood up ran round the corner and the loudest roar I could muster roar and they burst into tears (laughs) and they burst into tears and ran to me and both of them were grabbing on to one leg holding tight and that's what it means to fear the Lord at that moment they were frightened of me And they knew they could not escape me. There was nowhere to run. I was bigger than them. And at that moment, terrifying to them. And they couldn't escape, so they ran to me. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to know that he is more powerful than any other. That's what we saw in chapter 6. That's why the vision of the Lord in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6 is so crucial to the book of Isaiah. The Lord Almighty is awesome and powerful and beyond compare. We should fear him. And because he's so powerful, there's nowhere else to run from him. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. But he is not only almighty, he is the Lord almighty. He is the God of the covenant. He makes a way for his people to find safety and protection in him. We saw that also in Isaiah chapter 6. We see it supremely at the cross of the Lord Jesus, where Jesus dies on the cross so that we can run to him and call him our father and when we run to him we are safe that's what Isaiah is told here fear the Lord run to him for protection and you see it there in verse 14 he will be a sanctuary but run away from him as the nations of Israel and Judah did run away from him look to other things for protection and it'll end in worse than that worse than tears it'll end in judgment And that's what the Lord told Isaiah in verses 14 and 15. Speaking of the nations of Israel and Judah, but for both houses of Israel, he will be not a sanctuary, but a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Israel and unbelieving Judah trusted in others to protect them and Mahalahashbaz the Lord used the Assyrians to destroy them both so fear the Lord fear the Lord Almighty verse 13 now for us that means setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts now I've just made a great leap there Isaiah chapter 8 fear the Lord For us, that means setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. How do I make that leap? Come with me. Keep uh, something in Isaiah 8 and come with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and see why I make that leap. Uh, Page 1219. 
page 1219, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, the second of the two readings we had earlier. You'll see in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14, halfway through the verse, that Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 8. He says, do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. You see, that's him quoting from chapter 8. Now, do you remember how chapter 8 goes on of Isaiah? It goes on like this. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened. The Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. But Peter changes it. He says, verse 14, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Here's what it means for us as Christians to fear the Lord. It means setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Now, as an aside, if you like these sorts of things, this shows how the New Testament teaches again the divinity of Christ. Isaiah 8.13, the Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy. 1 Peter 3.15, set apart, that is, treat as holy, Christ as Lord. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord Almighty of Isaiah 8. But here's the thing for us this morning. Setting apart Christ as Lord is the way we overcome our fears. We all have genuine fears. The world will come bearing down upon us. Trials and struggles come to everyone. Some more will come to us just because we're Christian, because the world is not our friend. And at those times, we'll be tempted to run to other things to protect us. But Peter says, and Isaiah says, We must see that Jesus Christ is the supreme, sovereign Lord of the universe. And 1 Peter 3 verse 18, he died for our sins to bring us to God. In him all our sins and failings are dealt with. We can run to him safely. He will be a sanctuary because of the cross. And so we must be sure that we have set him apart as Lord in our hearts We must be sure that he is number one in our hearts. That's how we remain faithful to him when the world comes bearing down upon us. And as we return return to Isaiah chapter 8, page 693, we see how to fear, how to fear the Lord, how to set apart Christ as Lord. Just as we close then. Point one, fear the nations and you'll be destroyed. Point two, fear the Lord and you'll be saved. And thirdly, there at the bottom of the handout, fear the Lord, fear of the Lord, comes through the word of the Lord, verses 16 to 22. See, the Lord has spoken to Isaiah three times in this chapter, verse 1, verse 5, and verse 11. Each each section begins the same way. And as he has spoken to Isaiah, he has made it clear that the Lord is to be feared. We've seen that. And so Isaiah says, verse 16, bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. You see, the Lord has given a word of testimony through Isaiah the prophet. He has given signs through Isaiah. And now, verse 16, that word is to be bound up, kept safe for the time when these things will come true. So bind up the testimony, seal up the law, keep the word of God safe. And Isaiah says, verse 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Isaiah has heard the word of the Lord and now he says, I'm going to trust the word of the Lord. Isaiah is determined to fear the Lord. Isaiah, in verse 17, is doing what Ahaz and Judah failed to do. Isaiah is going to trust the Lord. He's going to put his trust in the word of God. 
That's how we fear the Lord. We listen to his word and we trust it. It is that simple. God's word is all we need to trust him. That's what verses 16 to 22 say for us. See, his word contains the word of the prophets, in this case Isaiah, but all the prophets. And his word contains the the signs that God has given to us that show us why we should believe. And in this case, the particular signs that were given to Isaiah. And that's what he says in verse 18. Here am I, Isaiah the prophet, here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. You see what this is saying? The Lord has spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah's children are signs to us. Remember the two children we met of Isaiah last week? The first child, Shea Jashub, a remnant will return. God's people will never be wiped out. And this week, his second son, Malahal Hashbaz, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Reject the Lord and you will be destroyed. Two signs for us. Which one are we going to believe? Are you going to believe a remnant will never return, so I'm going to trust in the Lord and be one of his people, and a remnant will always return, a remnant will never be destroyed, or am I going to turn away from the Lord? Then it's Malahal Ashbaz. Uh, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. You will be uh, judged. And here in verse 18, he's saying, signs have been given to us from the Lord. They're written down in his word. So the word of God is all we need for us to fear the Lord, to trust the Lord. But devastatingly, people won't trust the word of the Lord. They go to other places instead. Verse 19, when men tell you of, uh, to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Now, David Peterson, in this excellent little book, Christ and His People, writes on verse 19, how distressing to see intelligent people in our own time consulting astrologers and mediums, following new age philosophies and strange practices while rejecting God's revealed word. We might add, how distressing to see Christian people not really holding firm to God's word but trusting themselves to a feeling. I just felt it was right. Or looking for some other way to hear God speak, putting more store on experience or an unusual coincidence than on the clear testimony of God's word. Isaiah is very clear where we should look to to get confidence to trust God. Verse 20, to the law and the testimony. That's how Isaiah the prophet's words were described in verse 16, you see, the law and the testimony. That is the word of God. That's all we need to fear the Lord. But be sure of this as we close. When we do not trust the word of God, when we look to other things, we'll be left in the dark. Verse 20. If they do not speak according to his word, to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they're famished. They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Awful final verses. Once we turn from the word of God and look to other things for direction, eventually we'll turn away from God himself. That is the story of Ahaz and the unbelieving people of Judah. When we don't fear God, we end up, verse 22, with only distress, fearful gloom, and utter darkness, fearful of everything around us. So yes, we live in a scary world. And yes, being a Christian brings us more things to fear because we're Christian. 
But ultimately, there is only one we need to fear, and that is the Lord Almighty himself. He is the one we are to regard as holy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. And as we do that, ultimately, we will be safe from everything. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we've looked at this uh, detailed chapter with many specific details that maybe we've got lost on from time to time, we thank you still the big thrust is very clear that you, the Lord Almighty, are the one we are to fear. With many genuine fears around us, the world bearing down upon us, with things coming uh, to us, we ask you to help us to remember this and to fear you above all things. Not to turn to other things to rescue us, but to know that you alone are almighty and you are the Lord, the one to whom we can run because of your provision in the Lord Jesus. And so we ask you to help us to make Christ Lord in our hearts, reading your word, trusting your word, obeying your word, and seeing you deliver us time and time again. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.